welcome to the HJ Talks About Abuse podcast, the podcast where we talk about sexual abuse cases in the hope that it will assist listeners in openly discussing topics which have been ignored for too long. This podcast is brought to you by the abuse team at Hugh James. We are lawyers, so we tend to speak about the legal aspects of abuse cases, but we aren't too shy to speak up about the broader issues faced by survivors of sexual abuse too. We hope that you find it interesting, but more than that, if you are a survivor of sexual abuse, we hope that you find our discussion empowering. Hello, podcast listeners. This is Alan Collins. I'm the partner who heads up the abuse team at Hugh James. Welcome to our latest podcast. And as always, before I launch into the podcast, I give a health warning. Given the subject matter is often concerned with issues relating to child abuse, sexual abuse, and matters of that nature, you may find the content of the podcast upsetting, disturbing, and so you might want to switch off or go off and make a cup of coffee or a cup of tea. Otherwise, please stay with us. And in this podcast, we have a guest. It gives me great pleasure to introduce to you all Antonia Zabocki. So, Antonia, welcome to this podcast. Antonia is going to tell us what she is doing with Loud Fence. Now, Loud Fence is what, a campaign? Yes. Um, well, actually, I think it should be more than a campaign. I think it's a radical change of attitude collectively by everyone who's part of the church. So campaign's great to start with, but our vision's way bigger. Does this flow from survivors' voices? Yes, it does. I'm a Roman Catholic and I went to church in southwest Scotland and there was a big scandal that erupted there. And I think, although it's the same old, same old, clergy covered it up, you know, there was this attitude of us and them. It's, it's the same thing that's happening in dioceses that are Anglican and, and Roman Catholic all over the country, all over the world. That, that really depressingly wasn't news. I think for me, what was news to me was the attitude of everybody else. I think I was shocked at people that I knew who I thought I knew very well, who were also mem- congregants, mem- you know, parishioners who try to downplay and trivialise and minimise what was going on and almost blame the victim. And So we're I, talking about abuse. Abuse yes, of children, yeah, young people. Abuse comes to light in one way or another. And what you're talking about is that congregants, the church basically, struggles. Yes, I think that they have adopted this path of this is too difficult to deal with, this is too scandalous for me to cope with, so I'm going to adopt um, a strategy that means that I'm more comfortable. But ultimately, it's diametrically opposed to Christianity because if you are chucking the victim under the bus to buy yourself comfort, then really you kind of miss the point of Christianity in the first place. That, that It just struck me that that was absolutely what we were not supposed to be doing. And I felt compelled to do something about it. So you were experiencing and witnessing effectively yes. estrangement. Yes. When we found out, I think we were in the middle of a perfect storm because obviously there was a scandal erupting where we were. And the Pennsylvania report had come out in 2018. And also the McCarrick scandal had come out as well. And so 
it was kind of like, I suppose, emotionally and psychologically, for me and all my family, it was the equivalent of having an Exocet missile dropped on us. And we were waking up and seeing our, our church as it really was. And what we saw really, really, really profoundly shocked and upset us. And we felt completely powerless. Can you give, give us some examples? Well, I remember the Pennsylvania report being on the BBC on the 10 o'clock news. And for me, a lot of people can like give a specific tipping point. Well, for me, that was that tipping point. When I, when I saw that news report, I remember watching it and I just felt numb and shock. And the next morning I got up and it was the oddest sensation because I, I could recognize the room I woke up in, the curtains and the floor and the furniture and everything, but nothing, absolutely nothing was the same. And I, for a good two years, all I could do was cry about it. I actually now, through sort of like looking at a lot of self-help books, I, I now realize there's such a thing as faith bereavement, as a, you, you estrange yourself to protect yourself, but you also feel shock and you still feel bereft. Because you love the church, you just don't love what it's doing. Okay, so you get the Pennsylvania report, but what has happened before the Pennsylvania report? Well, the the previous Bishop of Galloway had moved an abusive priest round. This priest had been taking children to Ardrossan Beach and raping them, altar boys, small boys. There was one boy who, he went into his Catholic primary school and raped him in the room next door to his classmates and he was four years old when this happened so when you hear this and you hear the community that are supposed to be supporting him say things like oh for goodness sake that was then this is now I just can't I can't process that I I don't understand how you claim to be a Christian and that's okay that's obviously not okay is it so You've taken it very much to heart by the sounds of it. Well, yeah, it's, it feels yes. it feels really personal. Yeah. Yes. And you talk about your family as well. Yes. And can you briefly tell us how your family's been affected by this? Well, my father is Spanish. My husband, as you tell from my surname, is Polish. And we're all, you know, very committed Catholics. We're always very involved in the church. And so when this happened... We just had to walk away because it just I, there's no other way. You when when we tried to talk about it in church, we were shut down. We were silenced. In fact, our parish priest at the time said to me, "I think that you want to leave church, and you're just using this as an excuse." He said, "I think people leave the church because of abuse, and they just use it as an excuse to leave." I couldn't believe it. I had to pinch myself that I was hearing what I was hearing because it wasn't a lack of loyalty or care that prompted me to need to talk about that. It was a need because I care about church. I just didn't recognize the church I've been raised in and I needed it to, I quite desperately, I think, was just looking for a silver lining that didn't exist at the time. How did you get involved with Survivors Voices and how has this led on to Lair Fence? Right, well, what happened was you come to a point after reading books and scouring the internet and reading newspapers, you realise there is there is no different church somewhere else. It's everywhere. So I basically thought there's, there's nothing I can do. All I can do is be Catholic at home. I can't 
there's no other way to contain this or deal with the fallout. And my mother, my husband, my children, all of us felt the same way. So Mm. we moved to England, to Cumbria, and one of the villagers here at the village we live in said to me, oh, why don't you just come along to our Anglican church? She said, it's really quiet. Nothing ever happens here. You'll be fine with us. We'll look after you. And three months after this happened, the Bishop of Carlisle, and this was within the same week as the ICSA inquiry published its report. So again, I just seem to have this gift for walking into the perfect storm. So the ICSA report was published. And in the same week, the Bishop of Carlisle was exposed in the paper as having written a character reference for a priest who had abused, sexually abused two eight-year-old girls. And he had left that character reference as part of a pre-sentencing report in place for uh, several weeks. And then it was literally, I think it was 48 hours before the hearing, it was withdrawn. I suspect by some PR spokesman who was horrified when he discovered what he'd done. And Mm. he said he was sorry, but saying you're sorry and actually showing you're sorry are two radically different things. And Again, the the fallout that I felt as a Catholic, I saw all of my friends in the Anglican Church, they, the same sort of emotional collapse that I went through is what they went through. And they were in tears and they were inconsolable, exactly the way I was. And I think that was when I snapped and I thought, this is just enough already. It can't carry on like this. You know, you can't sacrifice all of these people and the entire church on the altar of the career of just a few clerics who are treating the church as their own private fiefdom. It's just wrong. So how did that lead to survivors' voices and their fences? Well, every <laughs> I know this sounds a bit dramatic, but me and a couple of other parishioners were sat in our parish church and we were talking about this. We said, something needs to be done. And I said, well, yes, something needs to be done, but what are we going to do about it? What are we personally going to do about this? And I thought, well, my first starting point would be the ICSA report. So I read through all the recommendations in ICSA and I thought, well, what can I, just little mini me in one corner of Christendom, if you like, what can I personally do about this? And when I read through all the recommendations, it said that then it needs to be a radical change in the culture of the church and how people in the church think about abuse and how they behave towards people who are survivors. And I thought, that's it. That's the one thing I can do. I can challenge all those people who, for their own comfort, simply say, I am not looking at this. I am not dealing with this. This is not my department, not my problem, not my job, not my issue. Those Mm. people, we can do that. And that's really how I come up with the idea of loud fence. It was an opportunity to give people who don't have a voice an opportunity to tell people who are survivors of abuse, well, not in my name. I'm not going along with it. So what does loud fence actually do? Here was the issue. You know that survivors exist, but you don't know who they are. Mm. You want to tell them how you feel, but they're they're certainly not going to walk into a church and tell you who they are or what they've gone through. So you need to be able to send a signal or a message to them. And that's when I thought, well, just putting a, a notice outside a church is a bit crude. We need to do something 
sort of different and a bit more creative that allows for a bit more of an individualistic approach, especially when there's so many people wanted to be involved. And that's when we thought, well, we wanted something that could symbolise our voices. And that's when the ribbons come, come to pass. We, I was doing some research and in Ballarat in Australia, after the Royal Commission into Child Abuse there, people started tying ribbons with messages to the railings of the institutions it had happened in. And it, you know, had had a really salving effect on people. And it wasn't just good for survivors to know they weren't dealing with it by themselves. It was also about people being able to get it off their chest and say, well, no, not in my name. I'm, I'm not going along with this. This is not okay by me. You know, I'm a Christian and I'm certainly not all right with this. So it allowed them to talk. And it also challenged the culture because if in a church you have people who celebrate speaking out, if they celebrate the people who come out about what's happened to them, that is not going to be a church that's a safe haven for abusers. Okay, so how long has La Fence been going? Well, it started in Australia in 2016, but it's been going in the UK two years. So the first year we trialled it in Kirkbampton and we thought, let's see, it was just a trial really to see what happened, like an experiment, if you will. And I thought maybe four or five people, if I'm lucky, might, you know, offer an opinion. But actually, we were really shocked. Everyone had an opinion about this. Everybody had something to say. So there were ribbons appearing everywhere. I mean, yeah, there were some people who were saying, I don't think you should talk about this. I don't think this is something that you should be discussing. But I have to say, an overwhelming majority of people just said, oh, thank goodness, somebody is prepared to break the ice on this and discuss this mm -hmm. because we all feel really strongly, but who are we? We can't do anything. So it just gave people an outlet to talk about it. Right. So if there's a survivor out there and they contact our fence, what happens? What's the experience? What's the experience is that we, we listen and yeah. we offer to support them and say, would you like us to go to the authorities with you? Do you want us to just sit with you and listen to you? Do you just want somebody that will hold your hand for a bit and, and be there for you if that's what you want? But basically, we say to the survivor, what what do you want? We, mm. we give them the control because that's the thing that's been taken yeah. from them. So it's, a, it's a, sor a source of empowerment, I guess. Yes, yes. And we want to change the narrative around the survivor being the problem. The survivor is not the problem. The survivor is the injured party. Yeah. They're the people that we're supposed to be looking after. And we want to turn it around and say to the church, to the people who were in control, where were you at when this was happening? Does the Church of England, for example, know what you're doing? Well, they've been some of our biggest supporters, actually. Right. So in the first year, it was really surprising, the response. So that's when I got in contact with Survivors Voices. And I said, I've had this really odd response to this, you know, tiny little parish loud fence. It was surprising how big the reaction was in such a small rural place. And what do you think? And I have to say to Jane Chavu's credit here at Survivor's Voices, she was really enthusiastic. And the two of us approached Carlisle Cathedral and Rochester Cathedral, read about what we've been doing in the local press in Cumbria. And um, Gordon Giles, the canon chancellor there, he was really enthusiastic about it and said, 
you know, I think this is something we would like to adopt. So basically, Carlisle and Rochester cathedrals become our pilot projects to see if we could replicate the results at Kirkbampton. And I have to say, it works. Whatever it is, whatever we're doing, it works. Right. Okay. So that's interesting. So is it going to be rolled across the UK? What's the, what's the plan? Well, the plan is that um, I've got a lot of letter writing to do because uh, I'm now going to sit down and write to every Roman Catholic Anglican diocese in England and Wales and see if they would like to be involved. I will send them all the evidence and all the feedback that we have and see what the response is. And we've already had a response from the Church of England in Birmingham. They definitely want to be involved and they've invited us onto a working group because they want to have a loud fence in October. We tried to do loud fence in November on the 3rd of November because it started in Australia the 3rd of November is All Survivors Day but if people sort of need to amend it or tweak it in order to make it fit with their calendar that's great it's just about the message you know not necessarily the timing but the message is what's so crucial so that's what we're doing. Right okay and how do you make survivors aware that you exist? Well, we have been going to the local press, we've been on local TV, and word of mouth. So we've, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram, uh, we're on Facebook. So everyone can look up Loud Fence UK and look at the photographs and the messages and see what we're doing. Okay. So this has been going for a couple of years now in this neck of the woods. If you were sort of analysing, the effect, what would the conclusions be from analysing the work that you have done over the last so couple of years with this? Well, for me, I, I look at results and what are the results? So I've had so many messages from people who are survivors saying to me, oh my goodness, you're the first person who's actually voluntarily acknowledged what's happened. You're not sort of a, a safeguarding officer who I've had to wring an apology from. This is, you know, something that you've done voluntarily and spontaneously because you want to, and that just makes all the difference in the world. And it's it's not just been survivors of faith-based abuse that have responded to this. This has been people in private schools. This is people in sports clubs and youth clubs all manner of institutions and children's homes. And they've all said, I had two survivors who got on the train at Northampton and Coventry, I think. And they both got the train up to Carlisle just to see their name on a tag, on a loud fence outside Carlisle Cathedral. And they said it was the most touching thing that they'd ever seen, that somebody would really? actually do yes. that extraordinary something as simple as that can be so yeah just something all these people wanted just, yeah mm. just a little mm. bit of compassion and um i always say that you know silent compassion invisible compassion that's under wraps is futile mm. it won't do anything it won't help anyone so at the risk of asking people to abandon their british reserve here i'm saying please just let go. And if you care about someone, then say say it to them. Actually show them. Don't just think it. Say it. And that's why one of our, our slogans are make your voice and your compassion visible. And so do you think there's any sign that 
culture within congregations may be shifting? Well, here is the really interesting thing. So at Carlisle, they were very keen to get involved with Loud Fence. And they decided that they weren't just having an exterior Loud Fence. They wanted to do, they wanted some sort of interior installation as well. You know, for people who maybe wanted to be inside and pray as well. So they had in the St Mary's Chapel, side chapel, they had a loud fence tree and they had ribbons there. And on the first day that they launched it on Safeguarding Sunday, they said to everyone, you know, if there's someone, if you've been affected by abuse or someone else has, then you know, please come and tie a ribbon, you know, say a prayer. You know, if you want to talk to somebody with there. And I thought, well, this is it. This is that moment of truth when you can find out if it works. And so I thought, well, I'm going to break the ice here and I'll go and I'll, I'll tie a ribbon. I'll be the first. And I looked behind me and there was a queue. People had formed a queue. And this lady came up to me a few minutes later and she said, my mother idolised her brother. And he was a vicar in the Church of England. And he abused both me and my sister. And she said, I feel like, although I love the church, that this has been a shadow that's hung over both of our lives. And she said, I just wanted to say thank you because I feel like I've been holding my breath for 24 years and you just gave me permission to exhale. And that was well, just fantastic. Yeah. That was just such an emotional moment for me because I thought, even if it just helps just that one lady, then this is definitely worth it. And how do you reach those who are resistant, those in congregations who don't want to know or pretend these nasty things don't happen? I think that bit by bit, they will be dragged, kicking and screaming into the light of day, and they will have to see it. When they see everyone else around them in church owning what's happened and saying, do you know what? We're not a church that condemns abuse, but we're a church that unfortunately, through our own weaknesses, has permitted it. And we've just got to, the first step to addressing a problem is to name it and identify it and own it. And then when you've done that, then you can do something about it. Because although it's not congregants who abuse these people, we were secondary accomplices indirectly unintentionally because what happened was through our deference to the clergy we assumed that that could never happen father so-and-so could never do that I I myself was raised with an almost unquestioning respect for priests you know they were in and out of our house when I was growing up and you know they were always treated with the utmost respect you know if a priest told you something you listened and you basically did what they told you to so the reason that this is somebody else who suffered clerical abuse and not me is because I'm lucky and they're not and I can't live with that and that's why I'm doing something about it. Fascinating and um, you know very positive so we've got Loud Fence in Australia, Loud Fence in UK, is there Loud Fence in other Yes, um, they're calling it slightly different names, but I know that in South America, so in Chile, Uruguay and Brazil, I know it's taking off. As I say, in Australia, um, in certain parts of the United States as well. And I know that in Germany, and I think there's going to be one in Spain this year as well. So we're growing. You mentioned, which I've never come across before, a Survivor's Day in Australia. 
Yeah, all Survivors Day. Yeah, yes, 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 yes. It's interesting because I saw the other day that um, they finally decided on the Survivors Memorial that they're yes. going to have in Australia. Yeah, which uh, is wonderful. Yes, and I've seen the designs, and it, you know, it looks absolutely um, fantastic. And um, you know, Survivors have contributed to the plan and the design and the concept and so on. So yes, so. Um, no, I think altogether there's a lot of positive steps being taken through the initiatives of survivors and those who step up and try and support them. I, I just hope that Loud Fence can be part of that because there have been one or two people who've been a bit sort of wobbly, shall I say, about you know us even discussing this issue. But I think there's come this point where most Christians say, you know what, that horse has bolted. We can't pretend that this is not a problem. It's out there and it's it's real and it's part of who we are. And what we do and how we respond to it is what's crucial now. Exactly. Well, thank you, Antonia. Absolutely fascinating. And it's absolutely great to have, you know, such um, a positive contribution to a podcast in respect thank of a very, a very difficult subject. So thank you very much. So and if anyone you. would like to be involved, they can contact survivorsvoices.org forward slash loudfence and they can download their own starter pack if they want to. But we'll be happy to help them. Excellent. Thank you very much. Thank you, podcast okay. listeners. As always, do tune in to our next podcast. And once again, thank you very much, Antonia. Thank you for listening to this episode of HJ Talks About Abuse. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or your favourite podcast player. If you'd like to speak to us about something you've heard today, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at aboutabuse at hjtalks.co.uk.